Good morning, church. My name is Zakani Mapope, and I belong to the Nordvik Life Group under the leadership of Mr. Godfrey Ndaba and Nolwa Zindaba. And I'll be reading the scripture for today. We'll find our scripture reading from Matthew chapter 6, reading from verse 19 up to 24. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and trust and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot save God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in a word of prayer as we come to that passage. Father, as um, Pumlani reminded us from your word this morning, idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Father, this morning we are confronted with perhaps the most stubborn of all our idols, the idol of money. Father, we are powerless to knock it off its throne. And so we come to you again, pleading with you for your mercy. Please show us yourself in the face of your Son and in the power of your Spirit and overthrow the lesser gods in our lives, especially the God of money. Father, we want to leave here changed people Please don't leave us as we are. Conform us to the likeness of our King and our Saviour, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. It's become standard practice, it's almost cliched these days, uh, for every company in the public domain to have a value statement. We've all seen them. There they hang on the wall in reception. You know, when you're sitting waiting for your appointment, there it is in bold, the company value statement. Now let me give you a few examples of some very interesting value statements. Coca-Cola. One of their values is the courage to shape a better future. How do they shape the future? By convincing you to drink carbonated caffeine and sugar out of a plastic bottle. Shaping the future, that's Coke. Ben and Jerry's are even more ambitious. We seek and support non-violent ways to achieve peace and justice. We believe government resources are more productively used in the meeting of human needs than in building and maintaining weapon systems. Now, just to be clear, that's not the UN. That's Ben and Jerry's. They make ice cream. They are going to use that ice cream to promote peace and justice. They are committed to non-military civilian methods in the production of ice cream. They do not support violence in the eating of ice cream. 
They mustn't come to our house at pudding time. <laughs> One more value statement, closer to home. It's a name we all know so well, Steinhoff. Steinhoff has been in the news, I don't need to remind you, as the company that has lost over 12 billion U.S. dollars to accounting fraud. Here are the core values that you can find on their website today. Transparency, <laughs> fairness, honesty, integrity, and good corporate citizenship. I mean, you don't know whether to laugh or cry. Here's the most striking thing of all. I scanned close to 200 corporate value statements. Pastor, what are you doing with your time? Not one of them in 200 valued making money. It's bizarre. Not a single high-profile business in 200 values making money. Now, if they were allowed to be honest, I'm sure that in almost every single case, making money would be on the statement as the thing they value most. But just before we get any more cynical and self-righteous, let's get down off of the high horse and just remember that companies are nothing more than collections of human beings. This is a very human condition. Are we any better in our personal approach to our values than Coco Steinhoff? Is there a difference between what hangs on the wall in the reception of your life and what's actually going on back office? What is it that we really value? How many of us would claim all sorts of noble things in the statement, but we leave out the one that really matters to us if we're honest with ourselves? Money. Jesus knows our hearts. Scary but true. He knows our hearts. And in fact, it's a great comfort. He knows that his disciples, his disciples, struggle in this area like anyone else. He is going to call us to something better. He's going to do what he's been doing the whole way through his famous Sermon on the Mount. He is going to call us to life in the kingdom. When it comes to what you truly value most, what I truly value most, Jesus calls his disciples to make a difficult choice. The choice is summarized in this statement. He calls us to invest in a lasting treasure with a clear eye and a wholehearted devotion to a single master. There's our summary statement. Jesus is calling his disciples. He's calling you if you or a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, he is calling you to a lasting treasure, a clear eye, and a single master. Let's have a look. Kicking off with a lasting treasure, Jesus is like a certified financial advisor giving investment advice. And of course, the counsel he gives is perfect wisdom. And it makes perfect common sense. That's what wisdom is, sanctified common sense. The first thing he says is this, and you're going to fall off your chair, it's so plain. Don't invest where you are going to lose value. Don't invest where you're going to lose value. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. 
Don't invest where you're going to lose value. I mean, could it be more obvious? Our stuff may have some value for some time. But you don't want to invest in that stuff as if it's going to grow in value and never stop growing. A number of you in this room have owned a vehicle at some point in your life. Think back to that first car, your first car, for those of you who have owned cars. Remember how excited you were. You loved that car. You polished that car for two hours every weekend. When you got to a speed bump, you would go over it sideways at two and a half k's an hour. You treasured that car for at least a month. Where is that car now? It's somewhere on a we-buy-cars parking lot gathering dust with a bent chassis from your first accident, cigarette burns in the upholstery because you couldn't quit at the time, and it smells of milk because the baby's bottle leaked. Right? Our stuff loses value. My friend was driving in Namibia. He was taking pictures out the window because it's such a beautiful country. Of course, he didn't stop the car to take the pictures. He's a guy. He can do it on the move. Turns out it's not that easy to change gears at 80 kilometers an hour on a blind rise turning a corner while you're also changing the light settings on your camera, on your wife's uninsured iPhone camera. You know where the story's going. It's headed for the tarmac in Namibia. Smashed to bits. Can you imagine the conversation that followed? They're still in counseling. You can pray for them. (laughs) This is what happens to the stuff we treasure. That suit, gents, that suit that you wore to your wedding, doesn't matter if it was Mr. Price or Gucci. It's all the same to the average fish moth. (laughs) Our stuff, it breaks, it rusts, it rots. It is stolen. Do I need to tell a room full of South Africans that our stuff gets stolen? Wallets, cell phones, laptops, TVs, cars. I once had a garden tap stolen from outside. (laughs) Sawed off at the base because it was made of copper. Came home to a lovely little fountain in my driveway. When you go to a mall or an airport, you see these signs everywhere. Please take care of your valuables. Why? Because the things we value get stolen. So what do we need to do? We need to invest in things that can't decay or get stolen. Things like shares on the stock market. Shares in companies. Companies like Steinhoff. (laughs) Do you see how stupid we are? We keep investing in things where the value is going to collapse at some point. Inevitably. You know, we all laugh at people who get taken in by pyramid schemes. But the only difference between us and them is the time horizon. Some pyramids stand up for a little longer than others. But in the end, they all crumble to dust. It's crazy. It's so obvious. And yet Jesus needs to say it because we're so hard-hearted. He needs to say it to his disciples Do not invest in treasure that's not going to keep its value. Don't invest in earthly things. Okay, but if we can't invest in anything on earth, 
What are our options? It doesn't leave a whole lot of alternative. What do we invest in? Our king tells us. There is one perfectly secure investment. One place and only one where your investment will only ever grow in value. It'll grow and it'll keep growing for all of eternity. Invest in heaven. What does that mean? What does it even mean to say invest in heaven? Well, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, in the context of today's passage, investing in heaven means single-minded devotion to God. It means an all-consuming love for God that spills over into a deep love for neighbor. What does that look like? Well, again, in the general terms of the whole sermon, it means at least these things and more. It means being salt and light for those who don't know Jesus. It means making peace where there's conflict. It means being faithful to your spouse. It means praying for those who persecute you. It means doing things for the love of God and not for the fear of man. Those are some of the ways. There are hundreds of others if you, if you trawl through this great sermon. There are hundreds of others of ways to love God and love neighbor as an investment in heaven. That's in the general sense. But in the specific context of our passage, investing in heaven means using your money to advance the kingdom. Give your money to gospel proclamation, gospel causes, give it to the needs of others. That's what it means to invest in heaven. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Later on in Matthew's gospel, He's telling the rich young ruler how to gain eternal life. You remember the young man came to him and said, how do I gain eternal life? This is Jesus' answer. If you want to be perfect, if you want eternal life, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. There's our phrase. Then come and follow me. In other words, stop investing in earthly things. Rather, give your money to the poor and invest in me. Follow me, says Jesus. Give your money to the gospel. Give your money to the poor. That's seeking the kingdom. That's investing in heaven. If, on the other hand, you hoard your wealth and you keep investing in earthly things, and this is the key, so hear this. What happens? What is the dynamic at play? If you keep doing that, hoard your wealth, invest in earthly things, over time, you are going to deepen your devotion to earthly things. What Jesus says is that your heart will follow your investment, right? So invest in earthly things, you are going to strengthen your attachment to earthly things. Invest in heavenly things, invest in your devotion to God and to others. You are going to strengthen your attachment to God and to others. It's a self-perpetuating cycle, one way or the other. Your heart follows your investment. Do you see what he's saying? Look there in 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your investment. Now we've gone very quiet because it's a strong message. It's a tough message. And there are lots of qualifications, aren't there? Lots of opportunities to say. When Jesus is saying these things, he means this, but he doesn't mean this. 
And he will go this far, but not further. So many opportunities to make those kinds of qualifications. Can I suggest to us this morning that we don't do that? Let's not add those qualifications. Why? Because Jesus doesn't. He doesn't add a single qualification. Not one. He makes no apologies. He offers no exceptions. So let's just let his word land on us in all of its force. Because our attachment to money doesn't want it to land. When Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, listen to what he says. The seed falling among the thorns, and this can be happening here this morning. This is the danger we face this morning. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke that word, making it unfruitful. Brothers and sisters, that's the danger we face this morning. Our wealth, however much we have, doesn't matter where you are on the wealth spectrum, our wealth will tell us all sorts of lies and half-truths to protect itself. In the process, as we tell ourselves those lies and half-truths in order to protect our wealth, in the process we, ch- we choke the word that the Lord has just given us. It will never bear fruit in our lives if we listen to those lies and those half-truths that we're so desperate to tell ourselves because that's the nature of our wealth. Please, God, may that not happen by the power of your Spirit here this morning. Jesus has given us some crystal clear investment advice. One pastor sums it up like this. It is a poor bargain which exchanges the eternal for the temporal, regardless of how much tinsel is used to make the temporal more attractive. Don't exchange eternity for the stuff that doesn't last. It doesn't matter how much tinsel we dress up this earthly stuff in. Now, for us to be able to resist that enormous temptation, which we all face, What do we need? We need to have a clear eye. That's next in verse 22. Read there with me. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In this part of the sermon, Jesus is talking about what we value. And the eye here is the instrument of evaluation. The eye determines how you assess the value of things. How you see the value of things. Are you seeing what a thing is truly worth? That all comes down to your eye. The body represents the whole person. And because the eye is what guides the body as the body moves around, our assessment of the value of things determines our direction in life. It determines what we're going to pursue. What are we going to chase after? You chase after that which you value. Right? Do you see the dynamic between the eye and the body? You chase after that which you value. Your eye, your instrument of evaluation, determines where you're headed in life. 
And so Jesus is saying, your direction, your whole direction in life depends on having a healthy eye. And the word healthy that he uses is interesting because in the original, it has a kind of a split meaning, a dual meaning. It means both undivided and generous. Seems like Jesus is using a deliberate play on words that calls for an undivided devotion to God, which expresses itself in radical generosity with our money. Having a healthy eye is, means an eye that is both undivided in its devotion to God and radically generous, generous in the way it deals with money. And the two are linked. If, if we have a wholehearted, undivided devotion to God, we will be radically generous with our money. That's the good eye. The good eye brings light. The good eye helps us to see the true value of things. The alternative is the bad eye. Jews would use this expression, bad or evil eye, to talk about a greedy, tight-fisted, covetous, hoarding, grasping spirit. The bad eye brings only darkness to the body. If your evaluation of the worth of things is faulty, you're going to head in the wrong direction. You're going to pursue the wrong things. You will be stumbling around in the dark. And of course, that's dangerous. But there's something even more dangerous. The most dangerous condition is to have a bad eye, but think that it's a good eye. There are none so blind as those with bad eyes who think they can see. We bump into them in the traffic every day. If then the light in you, listen to what Jesus is saying, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If your instrument of evaluation is faulty and you don't know it, that's the most dangerous position to be in. It's one thing to have a faulty instrument and recognize I can't really see the value of things properly. It's another to have full confidence in your valuation of things when in fact your instrument is faulty. And so our Lord is inviting us to an eye test. That's what he's doing. He wants us to test our instrument of evaluation. He's calling us And this is the bottom line. He's calling us to be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. What is it that we truly value? Not what is hanging on the wall in reception. Not that. What we present and project to others. What do we truly value? Could you lose your financial freedom and still count yourself free because you have Jesus? Could you lose your financial security and still be at peace because you have Jesus? When you look at God and money, if you had to choose only one, which would it be? Because Jesus makes it crystal clear, you can't have both. At least not as your ultimate treasure. You can't have both. We have to choose a single master. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In Jesus' culture, a slave was property. The servant that he's talking about, that that servant-master relationship, that was a, that was an ownership relationship. 
And so, of course, a slave could only ever have one master. Jesus is saying to you this morning, to his disciples, if you are my disciple, you can only have one master. Only one. It's either God or it's money. But there's only one master. And you need to decide. Now, why does he say this? He says it because, of course, we think we can have two masters, don't we? We think we're going to make it work. We, we can have two masters, we can have them together under the same roof, and we can help them to get along. That's how we think about this thing. Don't believe me? Well, answer me this. As I've been speaking, as we've been grappling together with this passage, has there been any point at which you have quietly in your own heart added the qualifications that we were talking about earlier? You know, doing that kind of conversation with yourself. Any point at which you've done a quick inventory of your expenditure and your assets and thought, yes, I really do need all of that. Or yes, but honestly, I earned that. I worked hard for that. Or yes, I hear this teaching from Jesus, but there's also the ant in Proverbs who is commended because he stores away for the winter. Or, you know, thankfully I do give away quite a bit of my money. Or, you know, I hope the Kumalos are hearing this because that new place of theirs is outrageous. Do you see what we are doing at this point? And we all do it, by the way. We all do it. This is self-justification. And brothers and sisters, there is no self-justification. There's only justification by faith. There's only justification by the grace of God in Christ. But this is what we do. We self-justify. We are justifying our tendency to store up treasures on earth. We're justifying it either by saying, you know, there are these good reasons why I should have what I have. Or we justify ourselves by saying, I've given away enough to deserve to keep the rest for myself. You know, I've given away enough to say, no, this passage is taken care of. Or I must be okay because those guys are so much worse. This teaching applies to them. Now, there may be some truth in all of that. There's always a sliver of truth in our self-justifications. But do you know what this exercise is? Are you recognizing what this exercise is? And we've all been doing it here this morning. This is you and me trying to have two masters. We are trying to keep both God and money together under the same roof. We're going to teach them to get along. Jesus is emphatic. They are never going to get along. Never. He cannot be any clearer. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. I don't know about you, but I love my money. And the idea of giving it away makes me anxious. I start to wonder if I'm going to have enough. Our Lord is so 
patient, so gracious, so kind with us. He knows the human heart. He knows. And so that's the very next thing he deals with in his sermon. Financial anxiety. That's next week. But we can't escape this week. Jesus is telling us to turn our devotion away from our money and devote ourselves to our Father in heaven. He says it's a better investment. Is he wrong? It's an infinitely better investment. How do we know we can trust him? Because clearly we have a problem trusting him. And there's so many crooks in this industry. Forgive me, financial services people. How do we know we can trust him? It boils down to this. He's done it himself. He's done what he's asking you to do. You know, it's hard to trust someone who says, jump out of the plane, it'll be fine, if they've never done it themselves. You're going to be a little bit skeptical, and rightly so. But if you have an experienced instructor who knows the thing inside out, has done it countless times, has gone further than you can ever imagine to go in this particular area, and he says to you, jump, it's going to be okay. Well, that's advice you can trust, isn't it? Jesus is asking us to do something he understands infinitely better than we can ever imagine. He understands from the inside out. He has experienced, he has passed through what he's asking us to do in small measure. What he's asking us to do is only a tiny measure of what he's already done in the same area. He has given up the treasures of heaven to live a simple life and die at the very bottom of society with not even a garment to cover him. He was naked at the end. And he doesn't just do it as an impossible example for us to follow. He did it, and please hear this, he did it to give you access to the heavenly vault. To all the treasures of heaven, you have access, free access, to every blessing in the heavenly places, as the Apostle Paul puts it. It's yours in Christ. Why not live like that's true? If it is true, and we know it is, why not live like it? You can give away anything, because you already have everything. That's what he's calling us to. Question is, will you trust him? It's a psychological fact that little children look to their parents. Look at how their parents react in order to gauge how dangerous a certain situation is. So if a toddler is walking along with her mother and they encounter a dog, and it's the first dog this toddler has ever encountered, the first thing she's going to do, she's going to look to her mother's face to discern, is this... A danger or not. Now half the mothers in the room are going, oh my gosh, I blew that. But that's what they do. That's what kids do. And we're in the same position. Imagine with me, a child is stuck in a tree, clinging to a branch. His brother comes to coax him out of the tree by saying, look at me. 
Look at me. I've done this. It's going to be okay. And I've got you. I've done this. It's going to be okay. I've got you. Brothers and sisters, we are clinging with all the strength we can muster. We are clinging to our money. Terrified to let it go. And here's our elder brother. The Lord Jesus himself. And he says, it's okay. I've got this. I've done this. You're going to be okay. And I'm here with you. I've got you. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father, we long to trust you with whole and undivided hearts. We long to have sound eyes that see things as they really are, that value things for what they are really worth. We long to be those wise enough to build up treasures in heaven instead of investing everything here on earth, investing the affections of our hearts in things that are just going to crumble to dust. Father, we confess we are none of these things. We long for them, but we are none of them. And so we thank you for Jesus, who has gone before us to win for us all the treasures of heaven. We thank you that those treasures are secure in him. Please, by your spirit, help us to trust him so that we can let go of our money and serve you alone with whole, undivided hearts. You are our greatest treasure. Father, help us to see it and to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.